I've had to adapt in my in the way that I work with certain things. But I think musicians, um, you know, to to be successful, you have to adapt and be open to challenges and be open to uh, people doing other versions of your songs, you know, because it's only going to help you. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. What's up? This is Brie Noble. Thanks for tuning in to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we help you learn how to make great music, how to connect with your audience, and how to grow your business. I've got a great interview coming up for you from an amazing woman from the UK. I got in contact with her on Twitter, and it's so cool how you can meet people on social media that you would never normally meet. And then I am absolutely surprised in this interview, you will hear by things I discover about Yvette Chivers. And that's what's so fun about doing interviews that, you know, I don't want to know the answers to her questions in advance. It's so great to learn things about her as I go, which of course spark new questions and new excitement for me. So I think this is going to be a really engaging interview for you. There's so many things about her that just surprised me in such a wonderful way. As always, I want to remind you to go to femusician.com. If you missed any past episodes, that is the place to find previous episodes that you may have missed. There's so much value in each episode and they're also different. So if you missed something, go check that out or you can subscribe on iTunes and make sure that you get all of them delivered directly to your device or computer. Last week, we gave away a free month membership to the Female Musician Academy to someone that gave us a review on iTunes. So a reminder that if you want to be in the running for that, just leave us a review on iTunes and make sure to put your name in there so we can announce you on the air and we can get connected with you and you can find out how to get your prize. Now, without anything further, I want to get to my interview with Yvette Chivers. Here's a little information about her. Yvette Chivers, aka Miss Chivers, has been working in the music, events, and festival industries for over 10 years, originally getting her start as a DJ working at clubs and festivals across Europe, and most recently working with BPM Live, Beats Project Management, to stream and produce on-site radio and TV from the heart of festivals and events. Yvette also looks after the brand partnership for Electronic Sound Magazine. Founded and manages international remix project, B-Side Project, represents a number of electronic artists, including Wolfgang Fleur, former Kraftwerk member, and still finds time to continue with the DJing and production, and has a radio show. I think that actually may be more things than I personally do. That's just crazy. So here's my interview with Yvette Chivers. So that's a little bit about Yvette Chivers. So Yvette, is there anything you want to tell our audience that's maybe a little more personal about you that's not in your bio? Um, yes, I guess one thing that I have been talking about, especially a lot this year, um, because it's been helping um, uh, provide awareness for a condition and for certain charities, is the fact that after, um, in fact, before I started work in the music industry, um, I started working in the music industry when I was about 26. So roughly if I'm giving my age away that was about 11 years ago um I got diagnosed with a degenerative eye condition when I was 23 so actually 
working in the music industry and especially working a lot of night times um, has proved to be um, another challenge because with the eye condition comes night blindness. Oh, can I ask what condition it is? It's called retinitis pigmentosa. Oh, it's quite okay. a mouthful <laughs> and it's quite yeah. it's, it's quite rare and, and there's, there, there is no cure for it. So since I was 26, um, oh sorry, since I was 23, um, my sight's been slowly diminishing. I can still get about. I don't have to um, use a cane or a dog or anything like that. But with that, of course, um, you know, no one knows there's anything wrong with me. And especially in the in the music industry, when it comes to nighttime events or festivals and things like that, I have to I've had to adapt. So you know, it's it's another kind of additional element to my to my role that I've had to adapt to, as well as kind of just being a woman in the music industry anyway. So mm, you know, it's so interesting because I don't know if you read my bio, but I actually have glaucoma. Oh wow! Okay, and I have had it since birth. So I can completely identify with the thing about at night. Um, in fact, for a while, I had a cataract that really made it hard at night. And I was able to get surgery on that. Wow. But I only have vision in one eye. Yeah, me too. Me so, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I totally get, you know, going to the events at night can be difficult because, you know, they just, they don't, they don't cater for people like us. They, they don't. don't have a lot of lighting. Even just like during the day events I've been to, exactly. they keep the lighting so low. Exactly. Well, that's it. It provides the atmosphere. It's the ethos. You know, it's the it's the whole right. it's the whole vibe around the event, and uh, you can't do anything about that. So you have to be the one to adapt. And it's just even walking a bit slower than I used to. Um, mm-hmm. Just being aware of things around me, not 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 drinking so much <laughs> on the evening. Oh, that's evening. a good one. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, so I'm 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 hopefully going to be starting. Um, to do a bit of work for um, an organisation called Attitude is Everything, which is based in the UK, and that's all to do with um, anyone with disabilities working in the music industry. Um, and hopefully, I'll be kind of you know starting to write a blog for them and and just just um, encouraging people that have got any issues or any challenges that it's okay and you can still do as much as you like, whether it's in the music industry or other industries. You know, the the, the sky's your limit, whether you've got a, a challenge or not. You know, it's you, you are your own challenge. You know, that is so awesome. I mean, I would love to be involved in that because for me as an artist, I didn't want to talk about it for years. Like I didn't want anyone to know. And I thought, you you know, people are far away on the stage and they and I'm very comfortable on the stage, you know, because I check everything out in advance. You know, they'll never know, you know, but then eventually I thought, what's the point of this? I'm not being my authentic self. Exactly. Exactly. And also, you know, I I get that feeling where you, you don't want to tell people because you don't want to be. It's not you don't don't want people to think it's a weakness. You don't want people to think you can't do your role or your job properly, whether it's creating music, whether it's performing it, or whether it's working in the background to to the events that musicians play in. You know, um, and uh, and and secondly, you know, kind of, I suppose I'm a bit of a feminist, but with the one thing working in the music industry, being a woman, you know, I think you do have to kind of prove yourself a bit harder. And then obviously to then say you've got an issue, medical issue on top of that, it's a scary thing to admit. I agree. And a lot of it is, you know, it's not that people are discriminating, but they're just ignorant. Like they have no idea all the adaptive capabilities that we have. Exactly. That no, you know, no one, if anyone wasn't like standing right there, they would have no idea. I mean, of course, you know, what I do online, you know, people that haven't seen me in person, they have no clue. Exactly. Because I have all this adaptive stuff that, you know, I can do everything I need to do. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's a great, a great message for anybody that, and even if it's not an eye condition, if it's any other kind of physical, you know, disability, it's something that you can, you can adapt. Exactly. And I think, and I think, you know, for one thing, using the, using the music um, aspect is a great, it's a great therapy. 
um, especially with eye disorders, actually, because, you know, my hearing is my, my ears, are my tools now. And I do respect my, my ears a lot more and I tend to protect them a lot mm. more than I would have done had I not had another um, sense disorder. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, I think my hearing is pretty, pretty spot on now. I think it actually overtakes when you're, another sense goes. So, Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. It hones in. Do you, is it hard for you to protect your hearing when you work in clubs and stuff like that? There's, um, there's a company called ACS Custom that I work with. Um, and they are really on the ball across the, you know, in the US and in the UK um, and you know, Europe further afield with promoting and encouraging people to, to protect their hearing. So they do um, inner ear uh, monitors for singers, for mm. musicians, for, you know, engineers, for sound engineers, um, uh, which also protect your hearing. So they take out all that kind of the, the, the kind of the bad levels of the music or of the sound mm. even to, to which can do damage to your ears and give you tinnitus and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I've got a lot of information from them and, um, and even just when you're going out and enjoying music, you know, you don't need to oh, wear, yeah. the, wear the rubbish earphones, earplugs that, you know, actually just, just clog up your hearing completely. There are actually good ones out there that are, that are cheap that will just protect the actual, um, you know, protect your hearing mechanism. So, yeah. That's a good point. As musicians, it's really important for us to keep our hearing for mm. sure. Um, so how did you get started in music? Um, it was all, I always clubbed, like I always, well, clubs and gigs. I enjoyed music since I was young. I mean, I think it's, um, my family isn't musical in a way that they don't play music, but, um, or, you know, perform or play an instrument, but they always had music on. My dad um, was totally into Motown and Atlantic Soul, that kind of thing, um, and the Stones and things like that. My mum was really into, I remember when I was a child listening to you know, George Benson, the kind of like 80s soul type stuff. Mm-hmm. and disco and then my stepdad was really into his Fleetwood Mac um Traveling Wilburys so there's a real real like cross genre mix there um and that I was kind of influenced by and then uh went to gigs and clubs throughout my teens and uh and then I remember going um clubbing a lot when I was at college and I just I just knew what the DJ would be playing next minute two minutes before it would come in or I'd tell my friends I know what should come next like it's the whole beat matching and the knowing what would fit the, the kind of tune and the atmosphere of the event it was just a kind of thing I used to comment on and my friends at the time used to say oh you should be a DJ and it never even crossed my mind I, I had a career in marketing and then I was at a um an event which would have been about 12 13 years ago now I think and um I remember hearing this DJ in this club play Motown and it was an actual techno night but he was the warm-up DJ and I went up to him and I thought, you know, that's great what you're playing. I love this music. And we started chatting um, and we agreed that we should put on a, an event, a regular event in Cambridge, which is um, where I'm from and where I live again now. So the event date, came the flyers, we did, um, we did the flyers, we did um, the promotion for it. And I got to the evening and he said, where are your records? And I was like, I don't, I don't DJ. What are you on about? I just collect Motown. I've been collecting Motown records since I was 15 and um, and he was shocked. He was like, well, the way you talked about it, I thought you actually DJed. So I had to get my, I rang my dad and got him to rush down to the venue with his old records because it was um, playing on the um, on the decks. And I had to learn like a baptism of fire that there and then. I, I had to ask the sound engineer how you used the decks. I didn't even know they were called decks. I didn't even know what a mixer oh. was. And I had to, I said to the sound engineer, how do you make it go from that thing to that thing? And he just looked at me in amazement and said, use the crossfader, you do this. And luckily... With Motown, you don't have to beat match and do all that kind of, you know, complicated stuff DJs do, which I do do now. I've learned on the job, funnily enough. But back then, it was a case of, right, let's put these two tunes on and make them merge. And I suppose because I, my love of music, I knew what the flow would be like. And a lot of DJs will tell you it's all about the tune selection. 
rather than the actual the actual skill of mixing uh, which is mm. how I started and then then it started from there and, and then it grew and I you know started I always loved dance music anyway started a night that had um funk into breakbeat then I started learning how to beat match and it got booked from the Ministry of Sound ridiculously enough um to DJ House which I'd never played before I don't it was almost like my reputation preceded me on every step along the way <laughs> and I think Richard Branson once said you know just say yes to everything <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I you can it. always learn, right? Yeah. You know, it sounds like you're really good at learning on the fly. Mm. Totally. So, yeah, that's how that's what happened. Wow. So how big is your Motown record collection? Oh, I'm looking at it now. I mean, I've, I couldn't even tell. I mean, I've got this about 100, one, one, two, three, four. There's about original kind of vinyl. There's probably about 600. Who? Yeah. Wow. Original Motown and kind of Atlantic and Stacks vinyl. And then there's about, I can play about five hours worth on seven inch as well of disco, original disco, soul, uh, all the way through 80s, early 90s dance music. There's loads on the kind of smaller vinyl as well. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> and that's the just the soul. Inch. Wow. Yeah. Then do, you, do you have 45s as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, well, I, in the clubs now, it's hard to even DJ on, on, on vinyl because a lot of clubs don't have the decks anymore. They, they have the CDJs you know, and that kind of right. stuff, which I do. I, I take my USB stick along and feel like I'm a bit of a fake <laughs> by doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the way it's going. But um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I still play the records at home. Um, I've got about seven decks at home now. So yeah. That's cool. You know, I totally identify with you. I love like playlisting. Like it's yeah. just fun for me when I, when I create shows for women of substance or I'm doing the podcast, I just think to myself, you know, what, what would someone like to hear after this song? Yeah. Like what, what kind of mood should I then create? You know, do we, what flows best? And it's just fun. It's I just your emotions, totally... isn't it? It's just your mood yeah. and your emotions. And that's completely why I'm just so thankful and glad that I that my entire career now is in the music industry. And saying it's the industry, I mean, it's just, just music. I love it. And everything about my day and my week, my week and my month, my year is about music and my memories going back. You know, people have memories of smell. They have memories of, you know, what they see. But my memories are all based on music. I'll hear a tune and I'll be like, I know where I was when this came out or where, where I was mm-hmm. when, when I first heard it, whether it was in the 80s mm-hmm. or whether, you know, when I was growing up or whether it was in the 90s or recently. I, I literally have a memory for each song I, I hear or, or reminisce to. Yeah. Oh, I totally feel the same way about that. It's, it's like your life becomes one with the yeah. music. Mm. So tell us about, did you have a mentor along the way that kind of encouraged you in your and your DJing, and then like in the other things you've gotten into? Um, not really. With the DJing, um, it was, I mean, friends are there encouraging you, and they like to go to the gigs, and I think that's a fundamental part of, of doing it is the, is the um, encouragement you have from your friends and your peers. Um, my family kind of, you know, it's, it's one of those things, DJing isn't a job to most people. So, you know, my dad's very encouraging all the time anyway, but he always said back in the, back in the day, he said, you know, keep your feet on the ground and you know, this is just a hobby. And, and now he appreciates that it's a job. And a few years ago, the past few years, every Christmas and birthday, he's asked, what do you, what would you like? And I've said, oh, a, a record, um, you know, pulley bag or a controller. And he's now got it. He's now, he's now, set, he's not even questioning it, <laughs> which is, um, which is lovely. He appreciates it. And, and then, you know, my mum, she's really encouraging the fact that I do the radio, radio shows that I do. And, um, but there was a, a, a chap, a DJ and um, promoter, um, about 10 years ago for a night in Cambridge called Boomslang. And that was a breakbeat night. And he booked me to play a few times there, even on New Year's Eve, you know, when I was kind of like still learning, still very basic. Um, and he once said to me, just, you know, just do a few things and do them well. Stop trying to do too much. Because my my downfall, um, and I suppose it's with a lot of people, is just 
I'm so keen to get involved in stuff and so keen to say yes. It ends up. Being I, I can see this from your bio. I've looked yeah. at your bio. Like, yeah, she's <laughs> well, actually, that's, doing that. that's basic. That's me really uh. honing it down. I mean, like before I was just doing too much and too, you know, when you're younger, you just, you've got not, not more energy, but just, um, you don't know when to say no, actually. Mm-hmm. And you, and you kind of maybe work with the wrong people and you make the wrong decisions. And I was, um, just doing too much and uh, and he said you know just do, do a few things and do them well and even from my bio that's me now focusing on the few things that I know I can do well and that I'm working with the right people so that that was um his name was Marcus his name is Marcus Burton Mr B and I always mm. appreciate those words and, and that encouragement and that um little bit of you know very decent advice he gave me it took me a while to actually take it on board but you know I'll never <laughs> forget it so yeah yeah, I do think that comes with with age and oh, experience, yeah. and and sometimes when you're younger, it's good to try a bunch of things because you don't know what's going to stick, you know. Exactly, and but you learn. as you get older and you have other responsibilities. I mean, for me, I have a hard time saying no too. But basically, what I've ended up doing is just getting a bunch of assistants to do all the stuff I don't want to do. <laughs> Delegating. Still say yes to most things, and then it's like, oh my gosh, and now my assistants are totally busy, and I'm totally busy, and I'm still busy. So. I still need to take that advice. Yeah, exactly. Delegating is the is the best way. And I, I you know, I've had, you kind of always find, um, you know, in, in every aspect of work, what, what your, you know, where your passion is. I think when it's, when your work is your passion, you become very emotionally tied to it. And music mm-hmm. is definitely a good example of that. And, um, you know, I've taken five steps forward and, and three back a lot of the way. And last year I had um, two limited companies and I closed them both. I went to Peru for a month. Um, on a trek for um, a charity challenge and also just to kind of clear my head and sort my head out and um, whilst I was out there I, I decided to close both the companies down they were just draining me and my resources and my money um, mm. I've been running them for six years both music events companies been running them one for six years and one had just started but I kind of thought you've got to let this go you know you're spending all the money is going on the, the office the accountants fees the insurance you're not having anything left for yourself and the passion that I love so much was becoming, was, was, was killing, not killing me, but it was, it was, you know, draining me and drawing me on and I was losing that passion. So whilst I was in Peru, I just, I, I quit them all, <laughs> got rid of everything. And before that I had people to get delegate to, but they were also very heavy responsibilities, having people you know, employed by you. Um, mm-hmm. And I came back and pretty much did the same things, working on the same projects, same clients, but freelance and formed BPM Live, which is a collaboration of, freelancers in the music events and uh, streaming arena so live internet um, streaming of events and gigs and festivals and it's fine now because I'm just responsible for myself and the other people that are in the collaboration are responsible for them and if they don't do the work they won't they won't get the if they don't kind of pull their weight then they won't be on the project you know it's it's not something that I have to be too responsible for now which is I've just you know and that's just last year I learned that very big lesson yeah, that that makes sense. It's so much easier on you, yeah. and plus, then they have to, like you said, they have to pull their weight. Mm. So with BPM Live, first of all, what kind of events are you covering, and where are these being streamed? Are these being streamed like on YouTube, or are there special locations online, or is it being played on radio stations? How does that work? It works well. BPM stands for obviously it stands for beats per minute, and in, in is the kind of most obvious. Um, most obvious uh, uh, thing that it, that means, but in my in my case, it's um it's broadcast production and marketing, so it kind of covers all those areas. And uh, yeah, for, as an example, um, Secret Garden Party in the UK is a big festival, about thirty thousand people. <clears throat> um, we've been managing the uh, Secret FM radio station from on site for the past few years, so that's purely radio. We have a satellite dish, we have a comms van, 
So essentially we can broadcast um, from an event, from wherever, even a field. We've got no restrictions on that. So the festival will uh, contract us to do that. And then also gigs, you know, like um, big um, electronic or, or live music gigs, such as the Coco in London. We did Schiller. He's a big German electronic artist. He had his debut gig in the UK a few years ago. And we did that live TV. So, and it looked, when you watch it on the internet, it will go through uh, whoever's website that, that have contracted us to do that. So Secret um, FM on, for Secret Garden Party will be on that, that festival website. So it's like pop-up radio and pop-up TV. Okay. That's the best way to describe it. Got it. Yeah. So, so it's it's very ad hoc. So they're not. So you're not your own channel, but you no, are. Exactly. You know, you're being contracted by other people, and exactly. you provide them what they need for exactly. their stuff. That's yeah. that's great. And it's like another. It's it's like a it's a, it's a growing growing um, arena at the moment, but it's still not um, taken up across the board yet, which is good. It's a it's a growing industry, and um, but it's just brilliant for marketing. I mean, a lot of um, <clears throat> a lot of venues, a lot of uh, artists, a lot of festivals worry that it will affect their ticket sales because you know what people can just watch it at home or listen to it at home so why would they come and of course the I think that's ridiculous because you don't get the full effect unless you go no. <laughs> you know watching absolutely it at home, not it's no. a completely different thing it's a different thing we can do we can we can portray it as best we can but you, you get the sidelines from from what we do you know and the best thing about it for the events or the festivals or the musicians is it makes people think I wish I was there mm-hmm. uh, for the following year or the following gig or the following tour you know, so I agree. It's only good marketing. It's it not going to take away any of the people that would actually go because that's a different experience exactly. altogether. Exactly. So with that, you know, um, we uh, yes, yeah, so that's 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 BPM live in a nutshell, really. Um, and at the moment, we're planning for next year. Uh, we're uh, um just getting in a com- kind of communication and conversations with various festivals and. There's a there's a quite a big tour that's on the horizon, but I can't mention who it's with yet because mm-hmm. it, you know Secrets. you don't want to say anything until it's signed. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but That's you know, cool. I'll, be, I'll be sure do... to let you know because it could be quite big. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Do you ever do US or is it all European stuff? It's all European at the moment. But um, saying that, then from this tour next year, we could come across. There's. Um, it's funny that the streaming and the whole connectivity aspect of events and festivals is uh, seems to be a lot more forward over in the US. They're doing it a lot already. If you Google um, connectivity at festivals, for example, you'll see a lot of the technology is already rolling out in the US. But it hasn't mm. rolled it out in the UK or Europe yet. So we are kind of working on that. So that's good. You've got a nice open market there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So is has there been any like mind-blowing experience, like either anybody that you've met along the way or a festival that you've done or an artist that you've, you know, covered or anything that has just made you think, oh my gosh, pinch me. I can't believe I'm doing this. I think it happens all the time. I'm not, I'm not joking. Mm-hmm. I literally... Because I grew up, um, you know, my my love, my fundamental love. Obviously, there's a Motown thing, and then um, then it's it's dance music, and especially look at it. You know, I was a bit too late to get into the whole the the whole rave scene in the early '90s, late '80s. I was just on the cusp of it, so I appreciated the music, but I didn't go out to it. So I had all the records and all that sort of stuff. And recently, um, I, I work with um, you know, being a freelance, you have a few people you work with, and I work with Electronic Sound magazine, and myself and my brother did this. Um, PR tour for them in March this year where we took this tiny synthesizer that was custom made for the magazine and it was part of their Kickstarter campaign and we um, had this tiny little box that, that made these incredible noises and we took it around the country um, to famous electronic music icons to sign it and I went into I mean, I'm, you know, people, some people may have heard of these people some people may not but 808 
States. Um, uh, Graham Massey went into his house and he's been an idol of mine for years. <laughs> his house, you know, it's just the most incredible thing while he signed this this uh, synthesizer. We videoed it all and made a little YouTube um, uh, set list of it. And um, and then also um, uh, Andy McCluskey from OMD, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Mm, okay. Went into his house, he made us a cup of coffee, you know, chatting oh. away whilst he, It was incredible. It's just basically we think, what am I doing? You know, it just seems so unreal. And and they're obviously they're just normal human beings. And and obviously I don't act like a complete, you know, fan, a fan that can't talk properly because you know something comes over me that I do act professional, but it's inside you're still screaming a little bit. It's it's really 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 kind of mad. And then uh, this time last year I had um, the Electronic Sound magazine just interviewed Wolfgang Fleur, um, ex Craftwork member. He mm-hmm. was part of the Craftwork classic lineup. And he invented the electronic drum machine, you know, which is, it's just, a, it's just incredible back in like the That's late seventies. Yeah, wow. it is huge. And, you know, back in the day, they, people didn't know to protect these inventions. So, you know, he hasn't got the kind of the trademark or the copyright for it, but he, he invented the electronic drum machine through trial and error. And um, this time last year, Electronic Sound Magazine interviewed him and he said, oh, I need representation. And uh, they asked me and I've been managing him or representing him for over a year now, which is just incredible. I still can't believe it. I, I called him once my electronic dad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's just uh, amazing to be in the presence and working with these people that you know are still going strong. They're still pushing out amazing music and still pushing the boundaries with it. And they're absolute pioneers. And I'm just, you know, just done in by the fact I'm working with them. Wow, that's that's awesome. Just how you kind of, I think you kind of move along this little, this little line, and you you kind of can't see where you've gone no. up, 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 and then all of a sudden you something hits you like that, and then yeah. you look down and I'm like, wow, oh, I really have come a long way. It's ridiculous. Like I said, you know, my kind of in into the music industry was completely by mistake, and mm. uh, you know, just by DJing, and it's just I I've got this incessant, um, constant need to learn more, to push myself, and to meet new people, and it's not done it in a way that I to progress my career. I still don't see it as a career. I still don't see it as a job. It's still a hobby. I still love it. And, you know, so that kind of need to meet people isn't like when you go to you know, business networking and some people are just too keen because they want the sale. It's not like that at all. It's just that I'm just, I'm a sponge. I'll take everyone's history in their experience. And, and, and from that, I think if, you know, if you're genuine with your passion, then, then it seems to work. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, I wanted to find out about kind of your your pet project or your passion project. I think it's called B Sides Project. Is that That's right? right. B Side project? project. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is that, and um, you know, how does it work, and how can artists get involved in that? This is one thing I think that's totally spearheaded my um, my work in the music industry because it's what's opened up the most doors. And I didn't intend it for it to do that. It was an idea that I literally, you know, you have an idea when you when you wake up in the morning and you write it down like songwriters do with their lyrics. And it was very similar to that. And I um, worked with bands locally, you know, kind of booked them into local venues. And I also DJs. And I kind of got a bit, not fed up, but I thought there must be a way to, there's, there's these bands fans and they come along and then you've got your DJ fans and they come along to your gig. How can I bring those two audiences together? How can I merge them? You know, because I'm sure both sides would appreciate the other side of the music genre field, you know the live music right. electronic and I was like how do I bring these two together and it was it, it was quite a big idea obviously quite a big challenge but that was the basic idea behind it and at the same time um this is in 2009 because it's been running, running for six years now on an annual basis and there was an artist called LaRue 
and she did a track called In For The Kill. And mm. um, she was managed by Big Life Management, who um, since then I've, I've kind of got to know and, and, and know the kind of reasoning behind the story I'm about to tell you. And her single, was it was good. And um, But at the same time, a DJ a producer called Scream did a remix and it came out on White Label, which essentially means, you know, he didn't ask for the stems and it wasn't uh, published properly. And, you know, it was just a White Label vinyl. There was about 100 copies of it um, because they, the rights weren't, weren't done properly. So um, all DJs... Is that like the same as a bootleg? Yeah, or? it's a bootleg. Yeah, yeah White okay. Label. Same, yeah, same word as a bootleg, yeah. <laughs> and so... DJs far and wide, including myself, were trying to get hold of this track, and you could not get hold of it anywhere. They were going for a hundred quid of vinyl on online, things like that. Wow. And obviously, Big Life Management for Larue picked up on this and asked Scream if he'd like the track to be on the B side of her single release. And uh, which is strange because normally, you know, the producer would get a huge ticking off for not uh, not doing it properly. But they saw the power in this remix, and then approached the producer. It went onto the B-side and her single went to number one. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Like it was the power of that remix, you know, just turned that single around. And and it made me think at the time with the whole thing of how do I get the two audiences together? Right, I want to do a remix project um, that brings those audiences together. There's loads of projects that go out, you know, all the time with producers that are well-known saying, here's my tracks, here's my stems. Non-assigned producers, come and do a remix and you can be signed by my label. You know, that happens all the time. So I want mm. to do something different. So what the B-Side project is, every year we launch it and we encourage musicians, singer-songwriters, bands to register. And they, go, they they come in. And then we also, at the same time, encourage music producers, dance music producers to register also. And this year we're looking at about 100 musicians and 100 producers. And the registrations are open at the moment. When the registrations close in December, the model is this. The bands get or the musicians get paired randomly with a dance music producer. And they're always going to be from somewhere else in the world. So a band from, I'll give you an example that happened two years ago, a band from Brazil, The Outs, uh, got paired randomly with a drum and bass producer from England. And they submit the track in the stems, uh, one track each. And then the producer has to uh, remix the track in four weeks with no communication with the artist. So they Mm. have to take their own their own idea of, of the track and turn it into support their style and the music the good thing about this is it's taken everyone out of their comfort zones because the musician has to be ready to accept another version of their song without any kind of uh, collaboration and the producer has to you know they get landed with the track and the stems of something they would never have chosen you know imagine a, a, right. folk, a folk artist being paired with a a, a techno producer you know it's, it's really really interesting another example is there's a, a, a um an orchestra pretty much um, from Leeds uh, got paired with a tech house producer and it came out amazingly. <laughs> it was, it was awesome. So this is the whole thing is creating new music and merging lots of different genres together. And once the remixer does, once all the remixers do their, their track, it gets uh, judged on the remix, uh, the remixes do by a um, panel of judges, including now Wolfgang Fleur. You know, I've, I've roosted him into that. Mm. Ronnie size. We've got people from the industry, such as, uh, engineers from Metropolis Studios, which is a high-end studio in in UK. We've got uh, lots of different people from across, you know, U- US, Europe as well, to be the judges. And you know, they'll be going on the website next week. The actual list of judges, and everyone will be be able to kind of relate to at least a few of them. And then from that, the top ten are chosen. We do do a public uh, kind of score as well. Top ten are chosen, and then those are released in an album um, through Metropolis Studios record label. They're published, and then we also have an awards event. 
um, Prism Sound have, have got the first sponsor for it this year, actually, because I, I must have spent about £20,000 of my own money on this in the last five years. Ooh. Yeah, it, it's like a, like my baby and also the bane of my life. Like I couldn't uh-huh. I, I couldn't stop it because I knew it was such a good thing. And it, I, I wasn't doing it for the money. We don't charge people to enter into it. You know, it was because it was such a good good platform for musicians and, and producers to use. And I, it got so far, I couldn't let it go. And then in the last year, um, a Prism Sound, who um, make high-end um, interfaces for musicians and, and producers, uh, they they saw it and they said, "We this is brilliant, we want to support this. So, you know, it's good. And it's now kind of clarified the fact that it was a good idea. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's basically a really good platform for musicians and producers to spread their wings in terms of their fan base, in terms of their audience reach. Because, again, it's natural. If you hear a remix of a track, you'd always tend to look at the original artist because you want to see where it came from. So that's how we promote the original artist as well as festival links that we've got across the world where musicians and the producers can get gigs through us. And, you know, there's lots of things to be involved. We're not just kind of taking the musician's track and using it and that's it. The musician gets the benefits as well from the royalties, from the publishing, from sync agreements that we have, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I I mean, I love this concept and it, you know, it, it may seem a little foreign to, you know, some people that listen to the show, but I want to remind you guys, we did an episode, let's see, I think it's maybe episode number nine um, with Jess, who's an electronic artist. And she does this all the time. She constantly gets these, you know, producers to mi- remix her tracks and does all these different things. And she has gotten a huge audience from that. Yeah, yeah. Because... You know, it's getting into different people's hands because all these different producers are also promoting it, and it's just a really good way to get your stuff out there in different in different areas. It is, it you is know, in different genres. It is. We've always, I mean, people are always ask one of the main questions is, you know, what if people, what if the musicians don't like the remix? And in the six years, and this is it's incredible, but I suppose it just it's it's just you know solidifies the the reasoning why I did this project in the first place. We've had no complaints. No one said, I don't like my remix. You can't release that. Or, you know, I don't want that mm. to go out there. Because, you know, musicians, people think they may be, you know, kind of prima donna about things. But actually, I think everyone's quite happy to. It's the creative concept of it. And it's the creative, um, just allowing people to create their own things from from your original track. And I think everyone's open to that art. And, you know, it's not like it's going to take over the original track. It's just another version of it. And I think musicians are, are very open to that generally. And they have been through this project. You know, if, if you're, you have to, again, it's about adapting. Like we were saying at the beginning of our chat, I've had to adapt in, my, in the way that I work with certain things. But I think musicians, um, you know, to, to be successful, you have to adapt and be open to challenges and be open to uh, people doing other versions of your songs, you know, because it's only going to help you. Yeah, and I think the end result and the compilation that's created out of the top 10, I could imagine would be a great licensing opportunity. It is. Like, yeah, do you do you promote that to be licensed? We places? do. I mean, the, the top 10, so the, the top 10 includes the originals and the remixes. Um, so the top 10 originals, um, so essentially, funny the producer is doing all the work, really. And then, and then the artist kind of like benefits from the from the producer doing that kind of four weeks of work. Um, right. Of but, course, they created their thing to begin with, so yeah, they did the work before. Yeah, exactly. That's true. That's true. But the judging is actually made on the on the you know on the actual remix itself. But it's um, both the original and the and the remixes. There's 20 tracks in total will be published um, on a one track publishing deal, as well as a one track mm-hmm. record deal. And those um, t- 20 tracks will be will be pushing out to all of our sync contacts 
through our publishing uh, link, which is Metropolis Music Publishing, and also various agencies and uh, music supervisors we know as well. Again, like I said, through this project, I've just built up my contact, my personal contact database so much. Um, there's a company called Soundcheck, which is check as in the, the check you write out for money. They are a, um, a syncing uh, licensing agency, know them very well. Um, and that's just one example. And then there's a, a campaign or a project that happens from the UK every year from the uh, this to do with the UKTI, which is UK Trade and, uh, and Industry, which takes um, up to 10 music projects or music, music organizations to LA every year. And we're hoping to come on board. They've been asking us for years to come on board, but we never had the funding or the, or the, the resources to do so. It happens in the summer every year and they take out these um, music organizations to LA to meet with the sync agencies, the film industry there to be able to get more contacts for the, the, the catalogs that they have. So we, we're kind of planning on going in June next year. That's great. I love the expansion of this and how it's just kind of growing. It's just, it has. Um, yeah. It's, it's, and like I said, it's, it's, it's opened up those doors for me. And I think I was actually going to stop it last year. It got to hmm. after Peru. I thought, let it go. Just let it go. I know it's your baby, but you've got to let some things go. And, you know, it, it, it's done its, it's done its thing. You know, it hasn't succeeded in its own right. You know, it hasn't kind of blown up there and, and not everyone knows about it, but it's got you personally to, into different, into different um, arenas and open doors. And the moment I did that, the next week I met the MD of Prism, Prism Sound, which is oh. it's, it's synchronicity, isn't it? It's strange. Yes, right? yes, absolutely. And with their help, because they're such a, you know, they're an international music or kind of a manufacturer of, of, of these interfaces. It's just, you know, with their promotion and with their PR, it's now reaching a much wider audience, which is only going to then help the musicians and producers that are involved. And it's just taken a, a massive step up. It's now not the grassroots it was. It's, it's now going to be able to help a lot more musicians and a lot more producers. That's awesome. So this is the time to get involved. It is. So yeah. Yeah. as we are closing this interview, because we have, I've had such a great time talking <laughs> to you. Too. I want to encourage our artists to get involved with this. Let them know how they can get involved and where they should go online to find this. Sure. It's, it's really simple. There's, there's the Twitter and Facebook, which is standard. So it's on Twitter. It's at B-Side Project, which is B-S-I-D-E-P-R-O-J-E-C-T. And then on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash b-side project hq um but the actual website which is where you register is on the home page it's very clear it says enter worldwide it's um www.b-sideproject.org so the dash in there um and uh, the registrations close in december in the first week of december great so well, i will make sure that we get this episode out with plenty of time for people to enter lovely brilliant awesome awesome well it's been great getting to know you today and just i was so amazed to find out that we have a little bit of a kindred thing going on yeah. with the um, visual impairment and um just your great love of music it just really shines through in everything that you talk about and everything you're trying to do to you know innovate in the music industry exactly and and you know what with whatever situation you're in whether it's you know music or whether it's personal it's like whatever doesn't knock you down will only make you stronger that's what i feel absolutely absolutely yeah. and with that amazing message i'm going to close our interview and thank you so much for everything you provided today thank you brie now go out and make great music connect with your fans and grow your business female entrepreneur musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com 
with editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.